great to have you with us this morning. So thrilled that you're here. Uh, good morning to those of you who are tuning in uh, online and otherwise. We have multiple tripods here today. We're doing two things. We are going to be in a moment uh, live streaming the service for a few people who couldn't be here today. We're also getting good uh, high definition video because we want to archive what we're talking about this morning for those who missed the service and those who uh, want to be part of our church in the future but might not have been here this morning. It'll give them a good idea of who we are and what we're doing. Julie, are you ready for me to launch into it yet or do you need me to? I can go ahead. Okay, cool. So three things we really want to look at today. Who the church is, what the church does, and how we get it done. So who we are, what we do, and how we get it done. To do that, we're going to look at two passages in the New Testament, two parts in the New Testament. It is awesome to have our tweens and teens in the room today, so thank you guys for being here. Some of you who aren't tweens and teens were cheering, but that's good because you're leading our tweens and teens. We like that. Bob and Alicia and Moses are back there. Um, believe it or not, I spent like the first decade uh, of, of my ministry as a youth pastor. I had hair. Um, I, I don't know if I was cooler or not. I'm not sure, but I had to retire because cool left me a long time ago. But um, I have a soft spot in my heart for kids, tweens and teens, and we were very clear um, when we started this, when Kendra and I started this journey with you five and a half years ago, we said we want to be all about uh, really building strong ministries for kids and for tweens and for teens, and uh, we are so thrilled that you're here. You are not the church of tomorrow, you're the church of today, and we need you to be part of what we're doing moving forward. So I'm going to do my best to not bore you out of your mind today, but to give you information that will help you understand who we are, where we're going, and how you have a part of it. So who is the church um, Skeptical people would want me to say, who is the church supposed to be? Maybe not who the church actually is. But we're going to talk about who God designed the church to be, not what it is, but who it is, what we do, how we get it done. Uh, two Bible passages we're going to look at today. One is in uh, Acts, which was written by, anybody know? Anybody know who wrote Acts? Luke. Luke also wrote another book of the New Testament. Very good. Luke, yeah. This particular passage happens, um, it's more than 50 days after Jesus was crucified, so like a little more than seven weeks after he was crucified, more than a week and a half after he ascended to heaven, and probably a few days, a few weeks after what happened in Acts chapter 2, where 120 Christians received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One of them stands up in a window, the Apostle Peter literally stands up in a window, and in front of thousands of people shares his testimony. Um, the same guy who uh, 40 days earlier was terrified of being a Christian would never have stood up in a classroom in front of people and said, I'm a Christian and I want to tell you why. He was terrified of being outed for that. But he had this special experience with Jesus and accepted him as his Lord and Savior. And then 10 days later, he had another spiritual experience where he received power from the Holy Spirit that gave him an extra dimension of boldness to, to talk to people about his faith. And so now he stands up in a window. He preaches this amazing gospel message. And at the end of it, 3,000 men, women, students, boys and girls give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. And so in one day, the world went from 120 Christians to more than 3,100 Christians. And what happened over the next few days in this metropolitan area is that Christianity began to spread like wildfire. Understand, this was the only time in history we see all the Christians in the world in one room at one time. Only time we ever see it happen. And it started to spread. And how did it spread? And what did it look like? And what was going on? And what did God intend? They didn't have manuals. They didn't have books. They didn't have... They had Jesus and their experience, and they had each other. And here's what was happening. Acts chapter 2, verses 42, not through 74. It should be 47, but I was listexic while I was typing, so please forgive me. It says, all the believers, all the Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were serving that role as their pastors. They were devoting to what they were being taught. They were devoted to fellowship, which means the relationships they had with each other, and to, now we get practical, and to sharing meals including communion, including the Lord's Supper, and they devoted themselves to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Now we get even more practical. All the believers met together in one place, and they shared what? What's that next word? They shared everything they had with each other. They shared everything they had. And then it gets a little crazy. 
They even sold property and possessions. This was like, you know, the biblical foundation for Craigslist and eBay, right? If there is a need in their church and they didn't have the cash to help somebody out, they went and took something they had, property or possessions, and they sold it and took that cash and they shared the money with those in need. Isn't that amazing? And it would seem to suggest it wasn't because they were told to do that. It's because they felt like they wanted to because the Jesus inside of them just helped them look at each other in a different way. They worshiped together at the temple. It doesn't just say on Sundays. What does it say? They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes like little small groups for the Lord's Supper, for communion. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of who? All the people. Not only the Christians looked at them and said, wow, those are good people. Even the people who weren't Christians saw them and said, wow, those are good people. Look how they treat each other. Look how they take care of each other. And then how did they respond? It says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. In other words, each day people were coming into these little circles of friends. And as they came into their circles of friends, as they found that they were welcome to have a seat at the table, as they found people who were willing to help them in their times of need and share their struggles and their successes, people were being welcomed into their friendship circles all the time. And as that happened, people were being saved every day. Wouldn't you like that to be the story of Echo Community Church? Wouldn't you like to be part of a church where every single day we hear reports of people that you know, that you're friends with, that you're welcoming into your life being saved? I would. That would be like the best possible testimony of our church or any church. Let's look at what Peter writes. The Apostle Peter, same guy who stood in the window and gave this testimony, a few decades later wrote a letter that's part of the New Testament. And he writes this letter to some of the Jewish Christians, maybe even some of the families he knew at the time of the story in Acts that scattered all over Europe. He writes this letter to them. He says, I want to remind you, you are living stones. Think about it as bricks. You're living bricks. And each one of you is being built together side by side, some underneath you, some above. You're all being built together into his spiritual temple. Now, they would have known what a temple was. I don't know if you've been to Israel. The temple is amazing. And they would have thought, wow, a spiritual temple, that meant something to Jewish Christians. He says, what's more, you're his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And a few verses later, he gives us our mission this is basically what he would say. He said, Echo Community Church, the well, this is your mission. He said, dear friends, I warn you because you're temporary residents and foreigners. Here's what he's saying. You're refugees. You're refugees. You're people who belong to a different nation living in a nation you don't really belong to as a Christian. You're a resident of the kingdom of heaven living among people who aren't residents of the kingdom of heaven. He says, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And here he says, be careful to live properly. What's that next word? Among your unbelieving neighbors. Isn't this interesting? Because on one hand, he's saying, don't be like them. But he's also saying, don't withdraw from them. He's saying, you don't have to be like your classmates who use the wrong kind of language, who bully who are in kinds of all kinds of crazy situations, getting all kinds of stuff that they shouldn't get involved with. You don't have to be like them, but you don't have to withdraw from them entirely either. But what should you be doing while you're among them? Not doing what they're doing, not blending in. Basically, what he's saying is non-defensively live different. Live different. You don't have to apologize for yourself, but live differently. Well, what happens if you do that? Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior. And they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. So what did God invent the church to be? What do we do? How do we get it done? First thing, what did God imagine the church to be? In a nutshell, in four words, I'd say this. He imagined the church to be a new human community. A new human community. The big idea, this is in your notes. I'll give you four words. These are really like... Um, scholarly words. Uh, I'm not really a scholar. So these are kind of, you know, they sound like highbrow words, but I'll give you some good definitions. Four characteristics. There's probably more. I see these four things in these two passages. Let me show them to you. God intended the church to be communal. What word does that look like that we, you might hear more often? Communal? Community. Some people said commune and you get really worried, like you're going to pass out Kool-Aid this morning. We're going to play with snakes. Okay. No. 
No, no, no. Well, the kids might, no, they have apple juice or something. No, no Kool-Aid, no snakes, okay? Communal, second word, interdependent. These are great, really, this is where people start to click out, but I promise there's, there's good reasons we use these words. So we're supposed to be communal, interdependent, missional, number three, meaning we have a mission. In other words, there's something we're doing more than just sharing brisket and hummus and vegetables and sharing money with each other and being friends and playing basketball together. There's a mission that's bigger than us that we're supposed to be glued together to accomplish. And then finally, attractive. God designed the church to have these four characteristics. And I will also say to you, this is not unique to Echo. This is God's dream for all churches. This is the blueprint. This is our scorecard. When I answer one day to God for how I led this church, I want to be able to say we really were a new human community, just like you imagined, Jesus. We really were independent. We were bricks that were built together. We were so built together that if one of us shook, all of us shook. If one of us was removed, there is a gap. If one of us was added, we were that much stronger. I want to be able to say we were true to our mission. We weren't just about building nice buildings, making comfy seats, having the best branding, the coolest fonts, uh, you know, the best dressed pastor, because God knows that ship has sailed, right? But we were about the mission of being and making the disciples. We were about reaching and saving lost people, our unbelieving friends and neighbors and family members. And that we were attractive, not in the physical Hollywood GQ sense, but that people looked at who Echo was. People looked at who the well was. And they said, I don't totally get it, but man, do I want to be a part of that? There's something about that I'm missing. I would love to be part of a true community where people really did accept me and people really did welcome me in and they really did share with me in a way that I can share with them. So what do I mean by those things? I'll give you a very, very quick definitions, and then we'll move on. Again, what I want to do this morning is give you an aerial view of who we are, what we do, and how we get it done. I won't be able to go in complete detail. I will next week after church. I'll be available in one of the classrooms after service for some Q&A, some questions and answers, just in an informal setting. If you have any questions about this, our process, the documents you might pick up later about where we're going as a church, be available to answer them to you then. But for this morning, communal, interdependent, missional, attractive. Communal, we see it in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46. Now I'm going to wander a little bit. Heads up to the camera person. Um, go back. If you have that in front of you, look at those verses. little interaction because I can do that. I can actually see you this morning. This is great. Um, it says they shared everything, doesn't it? What specifically were some of the things that the church was sharing together as a community. The Lord's Supper. What's another way of saying the Lord's Supper? Communion. They did that together regularly. More on that later. But yeah, what else were they sharing together? What else do you see in those verses? Property. Yeah. I heard this morning some of you were doing this this weekend. I, I was, one of the young ladies this morning said, you know, we have friends in our church family that lost their power, and we made our freezer available to them because we knew they lost their power. Well, how did they know? Well, they must have been able to use this crazy technology that we have to communicate with each other. They were looking in on somebody they cared about inside the family because their hearts are going towards not only their earthly family, but their spiritual family when these storms happen. And they checked in on them and found out they lost power. And they said, our freezer is available for you, so you don't have to lose everything inside of your freezer. And then, you know, one of the gentlemen went over to the house and, and took them a generator and made sure they got power up and going. They were sharing property. They were sharing what else? Possessions. What else were they sharing? Food. Praise Jesus. I did not know how much my life was missing goat properly prepared the Kenyan way until I came to Echo Community Church. And I realized there was raging debate among some of our Kenyan families on who made the goat better. And I have been pleased to be part of that science experiment. We went and had a meal with Joe and Trizza one time. They invited us into their home and we sat down and they're like, we're going to feed you goat. Now, I'm a Pennsylvania Dutch boy. I'm German. Not much goat fed to me growing up. It was meat and potatoes and occasionally salt. Okay, not much. And I'm thinking goat. I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm thinking like they slaughtered this thing in a bathtub or something. And I'm all nervous. I'm telling you, they rolled out this stuff and they started spooning it onto our plates. And I'm like, where has goat been all my life? 
and I was sharing with another uh, uh, young, uh, young lady in our congregation who was Kenyan the other week, or the, a few weeks after that, I said, oh, their goat is so good, and the way that they made it was wonderful, and she, and, and she looked at me, her name's Nancy, she looked at me right in the eye, she said, you've not had goat until I make you goat. You ask, <laughs> you ask Triza, she will tell you my goat is the best, I will bring you a goat this week, and I'm like, listen, okay, I didn't realize I stepped into it. But in this community, it's like, okay, like apparently these people want the pastor to like decide who makes the best protein. And I'm like, Jesus, thank you for leading me into this family. You just know how much I love protein and how much I love meat. And literally, it was like one of those really snowy, windy, icy weeks. weeks. Tuesday of that week, a knock at our door. And it's like raining and snowing. And there is Nancy outside with a hood over her and all this rain coming down and this massive pot. And I open the door, and she's like, I make you a goat. Pooh, brings it down. <laughs> sets it down there. Okay. And uh, I'm like, all right, I guess I better eat it now. She's right here. Um, she's watching. She's like, you eat. You eat that goat. And, uh, and Trisa, I'm sorry. Her goat was the best. It was really, it was really, really good. And Trisa's like, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's just one of the beautiful things that God meant the church to be able to be. We are a community. And he says, I don't want you to be a business organization. I want you to be a community where you share struggles together, where you share (laughs) finances together, where you share decisions together and meals and your home and your hobbies and your lives. And communal is one thing that Christianity is a one another religion. And that means when God blesses me, I don't go spend all of it. I leave some margin because when God blesses me, I want to be able to help others in need. That means when God blesses me in whatever context, I hear it all the time. Uh, hey, you know, we have too much of this, you know, and you're giving it away to other people. It's part of what being a church is. Interdependent. What does that mean? We see that in 1 Peter 2, 5. He says, you're living stones. You, he's talking to Christians here. You're supposed to think of yourself like living bricks, that are being built together in a spiritual temple. Now, how would that have sounded to Jewish Christians? These were people who had probably been saved for less than 10 years but grew up in the Jewish faith. They knew what it meant to worship in the temple. They knew what the temple meant. The temple was the place. They weren't allowed to go the whole way inside because what was the whole way and the holy of holies of the temple? What was in there? God's presence, right? And if you were just a normal Jewish you know, teenager growing up, You could never go in there. Oh, you could hear stories about maybe from a priest what it was like, but you couldn't go in there for yourself. That's where the the, the old word was the Shekinah glory of God was. It was behind curtains and behind bricks and behind a wall, and that's, that's where his presence was. Now listen to what Peter's saying. He says, you, the church, are supposed to think of yourselves individually as an individual brick, and you're supposed to be built together by God with other bricks. In other words, there are people in my life as part of this church that I'm supporting, that I'm teaching, that I'm mentoring, that I am training, that I am praying with, that I am leading. They depend upon me so much so that if my life shakes, their life shakes. You shake one brick on a wall, the whole wall starts to shake. If I fall, if I stumble, if I really mess up my life and you remove me from this family, it's going to affect other people. At the same time, there are also other bricks that are, that are underneath me that my life depends upon. That when they shake, I shake. We are so built together, but we're not just building a wall. He says, you're building a spiritual temple. You know what that meant to them? It meant to say that that's now where God's Shekinah glory dwells. That in relationship with other Christians, I can experience God's presence in a way I couldn't if I wasn't part of this spiritual temple. In other words, we're supposed to be interdependent, that when we come together, not only to worship, but when you come into this family and you start doing life with your other friends and family members here, when you start to build relationships here, one of the benefits that's supposed to come into your life and back into our life is that we understand God better because you're in our life. As God does things in your life, it builds us up. And as God does things in our life, it builds you up. We experience his his presence together. And my question to you is, are you... At any point in your life, are you right now built so deeply into a group of other Christians that when they shake, you shake? That when they're joyful, some of that joy comes into your life, that when you're up 
and you've just gotten a victory that that joy is poured back into other people's lives, are you so built into another group of Christians that you're interdependent? Because if you're not, let me tell you, you are missing out on part of God's plan for how the church is supposed to operate. Missional. You could take the word A-L off the end of it, and you could just say mission, because here's the reality. You can go to other places and find community, right? You can find it on a team. You can find it in a class. You can find it at school. You can find it in your homeroom. You can find it in a youth group. You can find it at work. You can find it on a softball team. You can find community in other places. You can find interdependence in other places. But what is unique about us is our mission. Because we're not just getting together to be buddies with each other, even though that's a benefit. We're not just getting together because Echo Community Church serves the best goat in the tri-state area, right? We have a mission. We have a mission. And Peter spells it out clearly in verses 11 and 12. Here's what he says. He says, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And here's our mission. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. And even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior. They'll give glory and honor to God who judges the world. What does that mean? Our mission is to live properly among an unbelieving world. Our mission is to seek and save the lost. What's another way of saying it? Our mission is to be followers of Jesus and to make followers of Jesus. That is our mission. And everything that Echo does here is designed. The way we're organizing our leadership, the way we lead Sunday morning services, the reason we have the well, the reason we have kids ministries, the reason we're dreaming about what it would look like for us to have summer camps, the reason we have gigantic big vision someday to develop 20 or 30 acres of property here in this area that will welcome the community into it, that will have the very best facilities and spaces for people to come and play and for people to spend time together, for people to relax, for people to... The reason we do all of this is because we want to live properly among our unbelieving community. We want to use anything that... We want to leverage every last gift and skill we have to reach a lost and dying world for Jesus Christ. And we've been assigned to reach this area right here, these neighborhoods, your classrooms, your teachers, your classmates, your co-workers, the people who live in your apartment complex. That is our mission, and we can never abandon that mission. It is not about just having good services. It's not just about increasing the bottom line. It's not about getting to 1,000 people on Sunday morning. Who cares? You can grow to 1,000 people and not do anything for the kingdom of God. I want us to be dangerous to hell, and I want us to see the most unsavable people that you know in your life completely transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, or at the very least be given an opportunity to have that experience. And finally, attractive. Acts 2.47 says this, every day God added to the church, to their fellowship, those who are being saved. What you see through the entire New Testament, beginning in the Acts of the Epistles, is that people outside the church had one of two opinions of it. They either said, they're, they're weird, and we don't want to be a part of that, or, man, that's what I'm missing, that group. That's what I've been missing my whole life, and I want to be part of that community. Echo and all churches are supposed to be a place that's attractive to people who are outside of Christianity. Well, what attracts them? Our teaching? Maybe. Maybe not first. What was the attractive thing? It's they saw their fellowship. They saw the way Christians treated one another. And if there's anything that turns my stomach, it is the dozens and the dozens and the dozens of the stories I hear all the time about people who come into this church saying, I have been so hurt by other Christians at other churches. That ought not be. That must stop. And it has to stop here. And the way that it stops here is we have to have community where your leader and your leaders love one another enough to say, we don't do that here. We put a stop to that. We're here to put bandages on people. We're here to see sick and hurting people healed and whole. We're here to see people who are are, are empty, be filled with the right things. We don't want to send people out of here with a spirit of offense. We don't want to send people out of here because we did the dirty or we did the wrong or they didn't find anything different about us than the rest of the world. Now, some people get a false idea of offense. We understand that happens. 
But on my watch and on our watch, we have to say, we're not just going to throw up our hands and say, well, every church is imperfect, so we don't... No, 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 no. We're accountable for what happens here. This has to be a safe place. This has to be a healthy place. Because not everybody's excited about being in community. They say, been there, done that, tried that, got burned. I'm just going to sit on a seat and do my time. But I tell you, if we start living community Christ's way, interdependency Christ's way, mission Christ's way, you start healing people who slowly can re-enter into the relationship of a church, not just because of what we can pour into them, but what they can pour into us. I've learned much of what I've learned about how to help hurting people from the hurting people. So that's who we're trying to be. That's who God wants us to be. That's our plan. That's what we're training to be, a communal, interdependent, missional, attractive church. So that's what we're supposed to be. What are we supposed to do? Question. Um, how should the church community relate to people outside its own community? Here's the problem. Every community, every team, every group has the same problem. How to relate to people who are not in our group? Simple illustration. My, uh, my six-year-old played t-ball last year. He's going to play clinic this year. And, uh, you know, I coached the team with some other dads. And the way his team, which this year is the Astros, will relate to all the other teams at his age, at six, is pretty cool. There's good sportsmanship. They line up and slap high fives at the end of the game. They're not calling the other team names. They're not trying to intimidate them. But turn on the grown-ups. Turn on an NBA basketball game. Like, watch, watch the Oklahoma City Thunder play the Golden State Warriors. Or watch, the, watch these grown men who probably at one point in their life were like, this has no place in the game. Here's how we relate to the other community. We compete against them, but we're human beings. We don't want to hurt them. We don't want to throw them over chairs. We're not going to get on Twitter and put them on blast at the end of the game. Okay? We're not going to call them every name under the book on TV. We're not going to try and injure them or hurt them. But some point along their line, the way they relate to people outside their community changes. I want you to understand as Christians, we just talked about we are a new human community. And how to relate to people that you know, maybe that you live with, or they're in your neighborhood, you go to class with, you work with, who are outside of that community. There's two schools of thought throughout, throughout history. And for, just to give you, I really got to hurry. Two schools of thought. One is we assimilate, we blend in with the people outside of us. The other thought is we withdraw and we judge. We stay separate. Those have been the two schools of thought. One group says, hey, we just should blend in with the people who aren't like us. And if we blend in, we won't suffer. And maybe we can kind of undercover reach people. And then the other side says, no, we should have nothing to do. We should withdraw. We should not be of this world. We should build fences really high and say to come inside these fences, you've got to believe like we believe and act like we act and talk like we talk. The assimilators, when they talk about society, they say, this is us. The withdraw people, they say, that's them. One group says, hey, there's no doctrinal requirements. The other group says, you have to fit all these criteria to fit in. And what are we supposed to be? One of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, in a message he preached a couple years ago, said it this way. The church should do neither. We should neither assimilate nor withdraw. But instead, we should engage and serve. And in so doing, we will be both rejected and recognized. That's a mouthful. But let me tell you what he's saying. He says, what we, should we do? What should Echo do with a culture that doesn't know Jesus like we do? We should neither just blend in and say there's nothing different about us. We're really just like you. We don't want to, you know, we're just buddies. We're all the same. But we also shouldn't withdraw and judge and say, ha, you evil, terrible people. Ha, ha, ha. We're better than you. We're going to heaven and you're not. Instead, we're supposed to engage and serve. And in so doing, we will be both rejected <laughs> and recognized. Now, where did you come up with that crazy idea? Well, first, Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, be careful to live properly among unbelieving neighbors. A verse earlier, he says, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Stay away from the sin, but you can live close to the sinners. That's hard, but in Christ you can do it because he did it. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. There's a deep tension we have to maintain between Echo and people, I'm not just saying people of other churches, between the church and the world. And you need to understand who we are and what we're trying to do here. I want you to be able to bring your unbelieving friends into this context, but I also want to send you back into theirs in a way where you can be different in a non-defensive way. You can be different, and you don't have to defend yourself for being different. But you be different in a, non, in a different way. So what are we supposed to be? Neither. 
We're, not, we're told not to assimilate or blend in because when we become Christians, we become foreigners and refugees and aliens to the world system. Christianity isn't something we keep private. It shapes our entire lives publicly and culturally. So what are we supposed to be then? Engaged servants. We're supposed to be people who engage the people around us and we serve them. We don't assimilate, but we don't retreat. We engage, we serve, we come close, we love our neighbors, we give ourselves to our neighborhoods, we give ourselves to our city, we give ourselves to our country, and in so doing, the world will reject you. They're weird, but they'll also recognize us. Well, how does that happen? Well, um, you know, I've spoken very clearly about what we believe about the Bible's definition of sexuality, about what the Bible, how the Bible defines marriage, about how the Bible defines budget and giving, about the biblical, the biblical truth behind all these things, and have taken enormous criticism from people outside of our community because of that. How old-fashioned, how far-right, how, uh, how closed-minded, how archaic. But at the same time, some of those very same people say, what great citizens you are. What great programs you provide for the community. How awesome it is that you refurbish the faculty lounge at the high school and you spend seven or $8,000 every year to put on free movies in the park and you make it a safe place where anybody from the community can come even if they're outside of your faith community. How wonderful. So they love that we're involved in acts of justice and in acts of activism and acts of community service, but they reject us because of maybe what we believe about some other touchy social doctrinal issues of the day. They see both things, but at the end of the day, what I want them to know is that our doctrine does not mean that we are shutting you. Doctrine is not what separates us. It's a relationship with Jesus. And we want to welcome you into this family. We're not apologizing for who we are. We're not defending who we are. But that doesn't mean we're not going to serve you. We're not going to love you. We're not going to come alongside you. We're not going to care for your family and your kids and value you in this community and stand for right and oppose evil. And we want to stand for safety and not rebellion. That's who we are. So that's how we try and manage this tension. So that's who the church is. What does the church believe? Well, uh, one of the things we're doing is we will be affiliating denominationally with a denomination called the Assemblies of God. We have been part of that denomination as a PAC-affiliated church, a parent-affiliated church. But now as a sovereign church, we're going to come into the Assemblies of God. They've been around for more than a century. They began back in the early 1900s. They came together because of a group of, of 16 tenets of faith and a mission to reach the entire world for Jesus Christ, both nationally and globally. The church, the Assemblies of God now worldwide has more than 50 million people that are part of the Assemblies of God. In the United States alone, we have 3 million uh, Assemblies of God adherents. More than 14,000 churches will become one of those. Well, what does the Assemblies of God believe? Well, there's 16 core doctrines. I could keep you here all afternoon, but that, that might blow your mind. I can give them to you in a nutshell. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and it gives us his plan and design for mankind. Does that make sense? Second thing we believe is that we believe that we believe in the one true God, amen, who reveals himself to us in three persons, the Father, you know the other two, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? We call it the Trinity. Great name for a church, but it was already taken, so we went with Echo, right? <laughs> Third thing we believe, we believe that Jesus is fully God, and that as God's Son, he was both fully man and fully divine when he came to this earth, when he lived, when he died, when he rose from the dead. Number four, we believe that all of us were originally created good, that man was good, but man decided to make his own choices, to sin against God, and in so doing invited death and evil, both physically and spiritually into the world. But the good news is that that's not where our doctrine ends. We believe in number five, that everyone can have a restored relationship with Jesus Christ. And through that relationship with Jesus Christ, we could be reconciled to God and that all that requires is that we put our faith in Jesus. We turn away from our sins and we will be gloriously, gloriously saved. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news just to know that, hey, the truth is you're all doomed. No, 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 no. It doesn't end there. We have a relationship with God through Jesus, and that is Christians, number six, that we can participate in two things Jesus said we should do until he comes back. There's two ordinances of the church. Number one, he says, be baptized in water, being completely submerged after, not before, but after you receive salvation. The other thing we should do regularly, we talked about earlier, and we, and we saw it at work in the Acts church. What's the other thing that we're supposed to do regularly? Communion. Why? Because it does two things. It's, a sim it's symbolic, but it reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross, but it also helps us look forward to when we'll be together with him in heaven. 
forever and ever and ever. Those are really, really, really good things. Uh, there's lots of other things we believe. We believe um, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we talked about in Acts, Acts chapter 2, it is a spiritual experience. It happens after salvation. It's available for anyone who wants it. And the point is the same as it was in the New Testament, to give us the boldness and the power to be his witnesses. We also believe that the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, just like we see written about in uh, Acts and also re- referenced throughout the rest of the epistles in the New Testament. We believe in the church, right? The church is an important thing. We believe that the church is God's idea. It wasn't somebody that decided around 500 AD we should have buildings and take an offering. We believe the church is God's idea, that the church is still God's best idea for reaching the world. Do you believe that? He hasn't come up with a backup plan. It's the church. It's us. We are his plan A. There's no plan B. It's us. And some of us would say, God, are you sure? He's sure. He gives us everything we need. And in fact, the Bible says the the mission of the church for all of us is to seek and to save the lost. And then you get to like doctrine number 10 or 11. I can get them out of order. Which says this, ministry is the way that believers get this job done. The way we reach the world is by ministry, by serving, by witnessing, by evangelizing, and that all of those things, when you do it, you're responding to God's call to and for the church. We also believe in this really fancy word called sanctification. Have you ever heard that word? Sounds like something you buy at Lowe's, but it's not. Sanctification is a fancy word for being a disciple. Sanctification, we believe in progressive sanctification. I'm going to make you real smart. Here's what we believe. We believe the moment you got saved, you were absolutely written in the Lamb's Book of Life and on your way to heaven, but there was still work to be done in our hearts. Did you ever figure that out, that even after you got saved, you could still sin? You could still kick the dog when you come home. You could still complain. You could still gossip. You could still do other things. That's because there is a process by which we are made less like who we used to be and just like Jesus. That process... To theologians, it's called sanctification. What we call it is being disciples. That every single moment of every single day, God can move me one inch closer to Jesus and one inch away from my life before I came to Jesus. We believe that divine healing is something Jesus provided for, uh, for us when he died on the cross. And that healing that God wants to heal and he still can heal. And that is available to us if we call on the name of Jesus. And here's what we believe in a nutshell about how the story on earth ends and continues. We believe in something called the blessed hope. And that just means that things are going to get a whole lot better than they are right now. As good as the bad as they are here, they're going to be a whole lot better in the future. Isn't that good news? The blessed hope that one day those who have died, uh, died before this moment, who were Christians, will be raised from the dead. They'll leave their grave and they'll meet Jesus in the air and get a brand new body. And those who are alive and saved at that moment will also join them and they'll have this big meeting with Jesus in the air. We also believe in what's called the millennial reign of Jesus, that there is a time that Jesus promised that he's going to come back to the earth again a second time, and with him will be all of those who know him. And we will come back to rule and reign with Jesus on the earth when he reestablishes his leadership for a thousand years. We do also believe in a final judgment that it speaks about in the epistles, that there is a day that has been set in history when all those who have rejected Jesus as their Lord and Savior will be conferred to an eternity separated from him, be completely separated from Christ. And on our watch, we're going to make sure everybody has an opportunity to say yes or say no to Jesus, to be prepared for that final exam. And the good news, the 16th thing that we believe is in the new heavens and the new earth, that Jesus is being true to his word. He is preparing a new heaven. The old one is nice. He's preparing a new one with you in mind, with me in mind, a new earth with us in mind, where we will rule and reign with him forever and ever. We won't get sick. We will have hair. We won't lose it. It will be wonderful. So there's a lot more on that, but that's all 16 of them in a nutshell, okay? Um, but that's, that's the core of who we believe. As it, well, I'm ordained. I have to know this stuff. I was tested on these things multiple years. It's important for them to know that if you choose to elect me as your pastor, which is one of the things we'll do, I hope you'd consider voting for me. But um, you need to know your pastor knows his doctrine, so that's, that's, it, and that's it in a nutshell. Um, uh, wow, okay, that covered like... Four pa- oh, okay, we're back on time. Great, that covered like four pages. So how do we get it done here? We know who we are. We're a new human community. We know what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be making disciples and being disciples. We know what we believe. How do we get it done? Well, 
the short answer is we get this done by making disciples. What do you mean by that? Well, we have to, uh, I told Pastor George this the other week, the one thing for the rest of my life I need to get better at, and I want it to be the main pursuit of my personal development, is I want to become masterful at the skill of making disciples. I want to know, I want to know everything that God can teach me, how to do this and how to train you how to do this even better. Um, <clears throat> It takes leadership, I know that. There's no other way. There's no other way we can get this done without leadership. And what we're doing at Echo is just that. Our church has to be led. Obviously, Christ is the head of the church. But in the human capacity, our church has to be led by leaders who are being led by leaders who are being led by Christ. The whole way up and down. That's the only way that this is going to work in a healthy way or we will become something other than what we said that we're going to become. So that has to be anything about the way we organize ourselves. Our pastors, our elders, our board, our, our SLT, our growth group leaders, our ministry leaders, all of you, everyone who's here, every mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and son and daughter, we have to be committed to this. Being led by Jesus and how that looks like is being led by leaders or being led by Christ. That's what it has to look like in our life. And so what you have to understand is that when you decide to be a leader in a church, um, what you actually do is there's a bunch of things you have to give up. The more leadership you take on in church, the less rights you have, the less privacy you have, the less flexibility you have with how you live your life. And you make an exchange. You say, I'm willing to give up some of those things in order to take on more responsibility for discipling people. Because it takes time and it takes energy. It takes attention. It will drain you dry. And so the more, the more leadership you take on, if you want to be a pastor or a board member or a person on the SLT, you want to lead a ministry here, what you're really saying is, I'm willing to give up my free time. I'm willing to give up some of my rights and liberties. I'm willing to give up some of my privileges in order to take on more responsibility in this awesome mission and have the privilege of being more active in discipling other people. But you need to understand how we're going to be organized because this is, this is kind of new for us. And so I thought the best way I could do it is just show you visually how we'll be organized um, and then we'll land this whole, land this whole plane. Um, and any, if you read through the epistles in the New Testament, they had to figure out how to organize their church. I mean, they grew to 3,100 people, and then you read a couple chapters later, they started having administrative problems. The church started having problems of prioritizing. You had one group that said, this is just the greatest thing ever. We need to send out missionaries all over the world. That's the main thing we should do. Let's start a missionary school, and let's send people on boats all everywhere. Another group said, uh, no. We've got widows and orphans and poor people right here in the city, and they see that we're feeding each other, and they need to be fed, and we know that's important. That needs to be our important priority. Another group says, no, we, we need to make sure the church here is organized. We need to have a council here. We need to have a board. We need to have... And they ended up doing all three of those things, but they had to figure out how to organize it. So how will ECHO be organized? We will have um, our organization as, here's the basis. The only reason, the only basis for how we should be organized is to be organized in such a way that it makes it possible for us to be and make disciples even more efficiently, effectively than we do right now. Nobody who serves in leadership is exempt from being a disciple and making a disciple. What do you mean by that? The simplest way I know is three relationships, two questions. Here's what discipleship looks like. How do you know if you're being discipled, if you're in this process? Three relationships you need to have in your life. You need to have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. They don't have to have those names. They have to serve those roles. In the New Testament, you see three different people. Everybody in the New Testament who was worth their salt had a Paul in their life. They had somebody who they looked to for spiritual leadership. I hope that my wife and my sons can say, our Paul is Phil Maurer, that we look to him for spiritual leadership. Somebody who is leading you spiritually. You need a Barnabas. That's somebody who you're shoulder to shoulder with. You're kind of in the same season spiritually, and you're being discipled together. It's more of a lateral relationship, a friendship, where your, your friendship is helping you uh, grow together spiritually. And then a Timothy, somebody that you look to that looks to you to disciple them spiritually. And two questions. So Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy, two questions to really make this simple. The way you start those relationships working is that you, think of, you put on your Paul cap and you look at the Timothy person in your life. Two questions. How can I pray for you today? And how are your Timothys doing? And if they, don't, if they don't know Jesus yet, you just start with that first question. I promise you, once you start with that question, I think it's the best discipling question ever. Let's that person know you're there to serve them, not to boss them around. Let's that person decide how deep or shallow they want the conversation to go. And they're handing you a manual as to where they want to work on first in their life. 
And if you're good enough at this, you just answer that question, you let them answer it, and then you follow that conversation to wherever it goes. And if you get stuck, you go back to that question. How can I pray for you today? This works with people that are this old. This is what I do with Chase. Chase is now six. Back in August when he was five, I started experimenting with how I can disciple him more effectively. Every night we pray, and I would ask him every night, how can Daddy pray for you tonight? How can I pray for you tonight, Chase? How can I pray for you today? What's something I can pray with you about? And for three solid weeks, it went terribly. Daddy, I really don't want to pray tonight. I'm too tired to talk to God. Can you just talk to him? Okay. How can I pray for you tonight, Chase? Uh, I want to pray by myself. Great. Okay. Um, th- um, Chase, I need to teach people about these conversations. You're not giving me any material, you know? Three solid weeks, nothing. How can I pray for you tonight? Well, my stuffed animal Spangle is not sleeping well at night. <laughs> my gosh. Like, this isn't working. This is not the best question ever. Finally, like the third week, I'm like, I'm giving this one more week, and then I'm going to have to come up with a new, new question. Third week, in my, I ask him one night, Chase, how can Daddy pray for you tonight? He says, I'm really scared about going to kindergarten because I might not make any friends. And I was like, but Chase, you've been really excited about kindergarten. You, went, you were excited at open house. And you, he's like, Daddy, I didn't want to tell you, but I'm really nervous I won't make any friends. And you can just imagine how you would have responded in that moment, and I did too. And it opened up a whole new avenue for ministry. My son also has a little friend in his class that doesn't know Jesus. And so we also now pray for his Timothy. He understands part of his behavior at school, part of the way that he's a friend is to be a good example. And so, no, he might not be as experienced in being a Paul as his dad, but he also understands that there's something in his life that has value in other people's lives. If it can work with a five-year-old, we can all do this. Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. Let me show you how we'll be organized. We will have a lead pastor. The lead pastor has to be an ordained credential holder of the assemblies of God in good standing with the assemblies of God. And the lead pastor has to be elected by secret ballot by at least two-thirds of the voting members present at a business meeting. The lead pastor's primary responsibility is to take full spiritual responsibility, financial responsibility, and legal responsibility for all matters of Echo Community Church. Just a little uh, light job description there. But the pastor is primarily to be the Paul for the pastoral team and for, for the church board, to be the one who disciples them primarily. Well, who helps a pastor with that, and how does that look? We have elders. Dr. Joe, would you come and, and join me? Did I, did I see Paul Burke here somewhere? Paul, would you come just stand up here with me? Um, in our church, we have elders. Elders are appointed by the pastor to serve an indefinite number of years. Uh, we'll, we'll negotiate that later. <laughs> Paul, here, come up, stand, stand over here next to me. Um, these are two of the men who have agreed to serve as elders. Um, and their primary responsibility is to be a Paul to the pastor to look after the health of the pastor's heart, to make sure that what the pastor teaches is in doctrinal alignment, to make sure the pastor is emotionally and spiritually uh, healthy in all ways that our family is being led the proper way. They also come alongside the pastor and serve to give me advice in all spiritual matters of the church. And they come alongside the pastor if there's a need to, to meet with members about areas of discipline or areas of restoration or redemption in their lives. They also help being served as, they share their experience uh, with the board. They don't vote on the board, but they share their experience and their spiritual perspective to whatever degree is necessary with the board. And their primary role is to be the polls to the pastor. Um, we will also have pastors, and we have pastors. So I see Brian here. I, is James in here somewhere? Brian, come on up. Brian, if you want to stand over here next to Paul, James. They didn't know I was doing this, so, so move with purpose and intensity this morning when you come up here. James, if you'll stand over here next to Dr. Joe. Pastors, um, we have Pastor James. He's our discipleship pastor. Pastor Brian is our recovery pastor. We've changed his title four times because we can. Um, <laughs> these men and women are people that are either uh, hired, uh, if they're on payroll of, of Echo, or they're appointed by the pastor uh, with the collective consultation of the elders and the board to serve our church, to help us get our mission done of making disciples. And they are the Pauls for our strategic leadership team and for our ministry directors and for our growth group. I mentioned another group earlier. I mentioned a church board. That's something that Echo has not had. We've had a board from Trinity. We will be electing our first administrative board. They'll be serving a first term of 20 months to next year's business meeting. They can be nominated by a nominating committee and then presented to the voting membership for a yes or no. 
vote. And so uh, we've had, we formed a nominating committee, and we, I'm happy to say we have seven people who have agreed to serve on that committee. And I'm not going like, to embarrass anybody who might or might not be here. I was looking around. Did I see Rajiv? Or did I see Rajiv here somewhere this morning? Rajiv, are you on baby duty right now, or can you take a quick break? Rajiv, come on up. He's going he's gonna to let you decide to vote for him whether or not uh, you let him serve on the administrative board, but uh, uh, we're not nervous about that at all. So Rajiv is here. Did I see Dr. Petal as well? Petal, Petal, Petal. Hi. I just found, see, I, I embarrassed her this week. I was like, I did not know you held your doctorate. So like, not, I was calling her Petal all these years. And now I'm going to, she worked hard for that. So I'm calling her, uh, she's a professor at CCBC. Petal's going to be one of our administrative board members. They will help lead the church in all the fun stuff, the business, the budgets, the finance, the insurance, the human resources. They will bring leadership in those areas to make sure that everything is done decently and in order. And they will be the Pauls. They will receive, they'll be the Timothys to the pastor, but they will be the Pauls to our administrative team and our finance team and our other uh, teams of leaders there. And then, then we have another team called our strategic leadership team. They're the creative problem solvers. They don't decide what we should serve the kids, whether it should be goldfish or triscuits. They don't decide what the budget should be. But true life story, if, if one of our children's leaders says, man, we need more men to be serving with our elementary kids, how do we solve that problem? Those, those ideas come to the strategic leadership team. We say, hey, should we rebrand? Do we need a new logo? Do the fonts look right? Should we have new colors? How do we get more guests to come through the doors? What types of outreach should we be doing this year? They're the group that works together with our pastors to come up with the creative ideas. Moses, come on up. Moses is part of that team. Um, who, who else are I to? Liz, come on up. I know that we've got a number of them. This team is still being formed. There will be more of you that will be invited to sit on these teams. Um, but they serve on that strategic leadership team. They are receiving, they are the Timothys to the pastors. We're checking in with them. How can we pray with you? What's going on in your life? How can we support you? How can we resource your, your best ideas? They're not here to decide how the money gets spent, Okay. Um, they can work within their budgets, but when they have dreams and ideas, that goes to the church board. And our, the church board, our goal is not to say, listen, we have to protect the bottom line. Our goal is to try and fund all the ministry dreams of this church. We want to be able to say yes to as many things as we can. Joe, Trizza, come. Trizza has the second place goat at... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't want to leave anybody else. Yeah, anybody, we'll do that at the end. We'll have the whole group come up. So SLT... Oh, growth group leaders and ministry directors. Keith, come on up. He's one of our ministry directors. You may have seen this guy. Uh, he's our worship leader here. Um, Ernie and Joyce, are you here this morning? Ernie and Joyce, they're our welcome team leaders. They're, they're one of our ministry team leaders. I'm trying to see, do we have any of our other growth group leaders? Tyler and Rebecca lead Financial Peace University. Come on up. Um, Susan, uh, listen, there are like 800 of you that probably should be. You're like, is everybody here in leadership? Almost. Almost. But listen, this is another extension. These are the people on the front lines. These are the troops with boots on the ground. They're the ones pouring into you, pouring into our kids. Bob and Alicia are around here. Some of them serve on 97 teams here, raise half the kids in the world. Yeah, they're here too. Um, listen, they're on the front lines and they need Paul's looking after them too. That's what our pastors and our SLT and our board are here for. They're not here to keep them in line. They're here to keep them enthused and inspired and moving forward. In the and they, in turn, if you ever serve on any one of our teams, if you are a part of any one of our growth groups, you are the Timothys to them. And in your homes, in your communities, every one of you that's participating, that's taking a next step on a serve core team or in a growth group, we're trying to equip you to be the Pauls to the Timothys you're trying to reach. You see, when you take a next step at Echo and you say, I want to jump in, why do you think we ask you to first get involved in a growth group or a serving team that connects you to our discipleship organization here? I know right away you're going to meet a Paul. Literally, if you're on the Loden team, you will meet Paul Maldives. You will meet a Paul. <laughs> if you're on the tech team, you're going to come up under the Paul of Julie's leadership. If you decide to serve as one of our youth mentors, you're going to come up under Bob and Alicia. And more than us just teaching you how to do ministry, those people are there to be the Paul in your life. They're going to be saying, how can I pray for you? How are the Timothys in your life doing? Because guess what? Sometimes you run into roadblocks with the Timothys in your life, and the five-year-old doesn't want to tell you how to pray for him. Isn't it nice to have someone build into your life that can help you think through that together? This is who we are. We're not an organization that goes like this. Every one of us, every one of your leaders is deeply committed to being and making disciples. That's the whole point. Yes, there's a business, there's business that needs to be done. Yes, there's ministry that needs to be organized. But at the end of the day, what's most important to us is that you understand we are not silos that work in tension with one another. We are deeply interdependent. 
we are deeply committed to community. We are deeply committed to one another. We are here to help each other thrive and grow and move forward together as a team. So I know this doesn't represent everybody. If you, this will be a lot of people, if you lead a growth group, a ministry team, you don't have to come up from just going to ask you to stand. If you are one of our nominees for admin board or elder or you're serving currently on the SLT or any of these other groups up here, and you're not, would you just stand where you are right now? There's a bunch of you. Thank you, Fred. Okay. Thank you, Susan, John, Alicia, Bob, Hilda, Cheryl. Good to see you all. Thank you. Can you give a big hand to these folks this morning? Y'all can be seated. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Thank you. I just want you to see how we're being organized, because if you drew it on a map, you might say, well, the pastor's at the top, and then this group's there, and you, know, you have to work your way up or down. That's not, that's not the way we want our church to function. I want you to be part of this church. I want you to be a member of the church. I want you to be a partner of the church. Why? Because it's the best way I can help you be a disciple of Jesus. Our whole process is that way. So much so that if you never take that step, we're limited in how much we can help you be a disciple of Jesus. If you just come and you sit in a seat and you never make a priority to attend regularly and you don't be part of the supporting of the church and its finances, because you're already part of receiving the benefit of the finances of the church. And we don't like withhold your coffee or your teaching or your kids' ministry. We don't check the register and say, well, hmm, this is how much you gave this last year. Okay, you can let in one kid, but not two. You know, like we don't do that. But if you can't ever be part of a body of believers, a community of believers, where you say, you know what, I can prioritize to be there. I can support with my finances. I can get involved on a serving team or in a growth group. I can be involved in discipleship. I can be a Paul and a Barnabas and a Timothy. You're missing out. You're just absolutely missing out. So the last thought I have for you as our worship team comes is that really what this lands at is membership. Partner, what role do you play? How do we get it done? We have to have more partners who are willing to be equipped to make more disciples. That's the way this church can grow numerically and in our impact. That's the way that hopefully within five to eight years, we'll be able to take another step beyond moving into a temporary home, into a more permanent home. We can develop a place that can be open and be leaders in recovery ministry in this area, be leaders in ministry to children and youth, have camps running year-round for kids to be able to come, have recreational fields that people from this community can bring their kids and play on that are the very best, having spaces where uh, we may have, you know, be able to serve, have a cafe that's open several days a week that has an indoor playground that allows parents and people from the community to be able to come and have a coffee where we staff the playground and they can get a break while their kids play, where we have a, a... where we have a ministry that pushes what we're teaching and doing all over the world, where we can think about starting new works, where we can build churches all over the world. There's so much vision the Lord has given me, has given us, and we totally can't afford it. I realize that. But first things first, I want you to be a better disciple of Jesus, and the best way I know how to do it is by being a partner with Echo Community Church. That's the best way I know to do it. That's how I'm being discipled. I'm part of this church. So you might have heard the term church membership. That's a good legal term. We're going to use the word partnership. What is a partner at Echo Community Church? It means four things. If you've taken a first step, you've come to church here, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe not in that order. You've come to discover Echo. You've taken a next step, which means you've gotten involved in a growth group or a ministry team, one of our serve core teams. But I'm asking you to take a big step beyond that. Not before then, but after that. Here's the big step. It means being a partner of Echo Community Church. It means four things, attending, serving, giving, and discipling. That's what you're bringing to the table. You're saying, as a partner of Echo Community Church, I will adjust my priorities to elevate the priority I put on being an active, regular participant in the worship services of this church. I'll change my priorities. Might not be able to be there 52 times a year, but if I'm getting here 20 times a year, I'm going to elevate my priorities and I'm going to be here whenever it's humanly possible for me. I'm going to participate in them. I'm going to receive the teaching and they're going to receive from my giftings and my skills. I'm going to be an active part of this body by attending. Two, by serving. That I will participate regularly in a serve core team or a growth group. We don't want a membership of 800 people where only 100 people are involved in the ministry of this church. That's not important to us. What's important to us is that the membership consists exclusively of people who have boots on the ground. You're the ones who should have a vote and a say on what we're doing because you're doing it. You're invested in it. You have skin in the game. You think about it differently. There's plenty of people with opinions, and we welcome that here too, 
but what gives your opinions weight is by the service and the participation that you bring into the actual ministries. I don't think it's right for us to have decision-making power over something we're not committed to and investing in. And so that's why we ask you to be involved in serving giving, faithfully honoring God by giving the first percentage of all your income to support Echo. We've talked a lot about that, but again, that's an important part of partnership. Every one of you is receiving of the benefits of other people giving, and many of you are participating in that giving yourself. Both Old Testament and New Testament, the first always belong to God. And we want to be able to help you if you want to, but you can't. We'll help you develop the skills because if you can't get the other 90% in order, you'll never be able to give them 10%. We want to be able to help you do that because it brings a measure of peace and a good reputation and honor into your life and, and for God and discipling. We want you to be able to say, yes, I will have a Paul in my life. I'll, I'll have a Barnabas in my life and I'll be a Paul to a Timothy. So what it means to be a partner, a commitment to attending, serving, giving, and discipling. That's what it really means. What do you get in return? You get to be part of our regular weekly ongoing services. Even if you're not a member, you can do that, okay? You get to take advantage of our simple, solid, safe ministries and groups for you and your family to receive teaching that'll build you up. You get opportunities to develop your leadership gifts by participating in serve core teams and growth groups. As, a, as an attendee of the church, you can be on some of our teams, but you can't lead them. You can't be in teaching ministry. Because to be in those things, you need to be able to say, we're part, we support the doctrine of this church. And it's dangerous for us to put groups of, it's not good discipling on my part to let someone teach you something I don't agree with, right? So we want to be able to make sure that that's there. You receive pastoral care in times of need, counsel, and access to leadership when requested. And you get a voice and a vote and all church matters, including selecting a pastor, selecting board members, and other business matters. So here's a conclusion. First step, most important, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered? It's not about joining a church. It's not about how much you give. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Have you invited him into your life? Have you received salvation? Has he changed and transformed you? First things first. Have you done that? Yes or no? Next step. Have you connected to a local church? If you have said yes to Jesus, have you connected to a local church where you can attend, where you can serve, where you can give, and where you're being discipled. I will tell you, it's God's idea for you to be connected to a local church. If it can't be Echo, if you can't get on board, you say, you know what, I can't attend here regularly. I can't get on board on the doctrine. I don't want to commit my finances. Find a place where you can. Find a place where you can, because then why are you here? I can't help you grow spiritually if you're not participating in what we're doing to help you grow spiritually. Find a place where you can. It's more important to me that you find a church where you can connect, where you can attend, you can give, you can serve, you can disciple, than for us to grow our number. But if you are here, and if I'm going to take responsibility for you, if I'm going to stand before God and take responsibility, I need to do so with wisdom, knowing that you at least are on board with what we're doing here. I just think that that's fair and that that's right. Big step. Are you willing to consider being a partner with each other and with Echo, to help us accomplish our mission of being and making disciples by reaching people we're not currently reaching. That's how we're going to get it done. For those of you that are already voting members of Trinity, that have, you have the choice of being able to transfer your membership to Echo. Many of you have already let us know that you're going to do that. Okay? And you can vote in this business meeting on the 21st. For those of you that are not active voting members, you're not partners, your pathway is after service today to stop by the table out here. There's a computer there. Linda and Havila will be there. They have an application. They have a membership application packet. The one thing you have to do is go to a membership class. If you were here this morning, you went to the class. That's why we videotaped it. The people that missed it, rather than me having to do it over and over again, they're going to have to sit there and watch like an hour and a half of this, right? I'm going to do it again and even slower with less stories and more big words. <laughs> but they're going to be able to go through this too. That way we keep it uniform. And what we're doing here, we also make it accessible. You didn't know that you could miss this morning and get, that's why we didn't tell you nobody would be here. Well, I'll just watch the video later. No, you won't. There's going to be fill-ins that you all are going to have to complete that I'm going to tell you about a little bit later. But to make sure that you watch the video. Um, you pick up your application packet. You can turn that back into us. Uh, I think by the 14th, we need that back. And then we can approve you for membership on the 21st. So that gives you a pathway in. Those of you that are already voting members of Trinity, if you desire to transfer your membership, I think 53 or 5 of you have already said um, you want to do that. If you haven't responded, you can stop by and see those ladies. We'll save you an email or a phone call this week. They have a packet for you that has the things we'll be voting on. And once we get applications back from the others, you can get that. We have to provide you the resolutions we're going to be voting on, the seven nominees for the admin board. And I apologize. When I formatted it, uh, they got out of alphabetical order. So the conspiracy theorists in the House, there's not a ranking of these, uh, the men and the women that are on there. There's, there's men and women on, on that list. Um, we're only electing seven, and there are exactly seven nominees. 
So it would be awesome if you pray over this and say we can vote yes for all of them. That would be great, but you vote how you feel led to vote. But that's why there's seven on there. You don't have to pick five or eight. We presenting you exactly the number of nominees as offices are to fill. There's a proposed constitution and bylaws in there for you to review, some other resolutions. Uh, there's a nomination for lead pastor in there that you can read over. We're going to do everything the right way in advance of that business meeting. Do you know Jesus? Are you connected to a church body? And if you're here, will you partner with us and help us get this mission moving forward? We're already doing it. It's already happening. We just want to get it done. Heavenly Father, we love you. Everybody in the house this morning that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, here I want to just lead you in a simple prayer as our prayer team comes, even as I'm praying. Prayer team, you can come. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's as simple as ABC. Admitting that you need Jesus and that you're a sinner. B, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who took on the form of a human being, died on the cross, rose from the dead as a substitute for your sin and paid your debt to satisfy restoring relationship with God and see you choose Jesus to be your Lord, the ultimate leader in your life. If you believe those things, then the next step according to Romans chapter 10 is to make a simple confession of your faith. And I'll pray an example for you that you can repeat right now between you and God. It just says something like this. Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe in you that you're God's son, you lived a sinless life, you died on the cross in my place, you rose from the dead, you're alive today. I believe that by putting my faith in you, I can be saved, I can be forgiven, I can be transformed, and now I can be restored into right relationship with God. So I do that today. I choose you to be my Lord and Savior. I accept forgiveness for my sins, and I turn away from them. And now I look forward to growing inch by inch, day by day, to be more and more like you, Jesus. In your precious name I pray, amen.